This is the Data Privacy Detective. It's April of 2019, spring in at least uh, half the world. So welcome, and today we're going to turn our glass to uh, the data that businesses gather, often without even knowing what they've gathered and what they have, and we couldn't have a better person to talk to us about that than Christina Bergman. Christina, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And Christina, now you're the founder and the CEO of Integris Software, and I found it fascinating. You used to be a venture capitalist, maybe you still are, but somehow in 2013, you look at you took a look at some of uh, what was going on in the data and tech space. You're a real expert in that, and you decided to found Integris. And what prompted you to do that? Yeah, great question. Um, so yes, I, I, my sordid history is that I used to work in venture capital for a number of years, and then previously to that, worked in business intelligence and data management at co some companies you know and some you don't. Um, so places like Microsoft and uh, a couple of business intelligence companies, Business Objects and Crystal Decisions. And what I was seeing over the years was data just exploding. Oh, an avalanche, uh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And in, in addition to that, uh, it, it very quickly became company's number one, number one asset. And when I worked in venture, we were investing in technology like Splunk and Cloudera and um, other, other big data technology as well as IoT and security companies. And the thing that became very apparent was how unwieldy some of these data repositories were and how massive they were. The, the, biggest, uh, the biggest revolution in data was really the advent of big data yeah. and how companies can store and process massive amounts of data for long periods of time very, very cheaply. And so when I was watching the news and watching what was happening in the broader market, post Edward Snowden, the thing that really jumped out was Angela Merkel's reaction to the Edward Snowden affair. And to see someone of her stoicness uh, visibly angry on TV, I thought, ooh, there's going to be backlash. And sure enough, this thing, uh, this regulation not too long after popped up called GDPR, and it had pretty big teeth. So I read through an early draft of that uh, probably about six years ago and thought, Oh, dear. Uh, well, I think companies are certainly interested when 4% of their gross revenue could be at stake, and you notice that, and I guess you turned it into a business. So just tell us briefly, if you would, what does Integra Software do? How do you help businesses? Yeah, so we help companies understand what data they have and then tie that data to their business obligations, whether they're regulatory, contractual, or their own internal policies, and then automate remediation. So I'll give you a quick example. Uh, there's a large financial institution we're working with where if we see data streaming in from a credit card processor that doesn't meet the bank's encryption standard, we trigger an event that then, it, that then goes off to an encryption tool to encrypt the data. So effectively what we're doing is we're using machine learning and natural language processing to understand the data at the data element level and then tie it to those obligations that revolve around retention and encryption and classification, and then trigger and automate those events that help a company stay in compliance 
uh, continuously and prove compliance on an ongoing basis to both their customers and their regula regulators, and then also any of their internal stakeholders. And you get, uh, I'm, I'm sure, more of a real-time view of what data is already there and what's coming the next day and so on than you would if you send a questionnaire around to everybody the way some companies used to. And, and is, is, that's the essence of it, automation of this process. That's exactly right, Joe. Um, I, you know, the best best description of this came from the Chief Information Security Officer of a large CPG company we're working with, and he said every two years they send out a privacy survey to data owners, yep. and every two years the questionnaires come back looking exactly the same. And he said, I can't trust those results because I know data is constantly changing. We're constantly acquiring new data sets, acquiring new companies. People are changing jobs. And he said, I'm making investment decisions around the company's security based on that privacy information, right. and I can't trust it. So how well, do I know what data to put in what network zone or who to give access to what data if I don't know what's actually there? Well, it's not only finding the unknown, but finding the unknown unknown and then uh, dealing with it. So uh, yeah. good description. Well, I, I exactly. want to really spend some time with you on an absolutely fascinating study that Integris did. Uh, that uh, you, you called it a maturity, a data privacy maturity study, and I think that in itself is a, is a great thing. And and this this is just out as of April 2019, and I want to want to really uh, concentrate on the four key findings uh, that that the study points out, if I may, one by one, uh, Christina. And the first thing that jumped out was uh, really overconfidence. Uh, in this uh, area, and I noted uh, you had over 250 respondents of businesses here. Now these are mid and large size uh, companies. Uh, majority have over 5,000 employees, and uh, some have revenues of 10 billion. So you're talking mid size to large companies, but you got an outstanding survey response, I thought. And what you found was surprisingly in very sophisticated companies. Overconfidence. Talk to us about that. Yeah, it, it was it was interesting, but uh, probably not super surprising to to a lot of practitioners that there is a lot of overconfidence, and that really stems from the extremely manual way that privacy has been dealt with, particularly as it re, uh, relates to data. So, mm -hmm. as I mentioned, that that CPG company using spreadsheets. That is the dominant technology, and the survey confirmed it. That is almost universally the, the technology that companies use to do their data mapping and classification. And the challenge with that is that, you know, at best case, people are looking at the metadata. They're looking at column headers in a structured database. But the big blind spots come from unstructured data. Yeah. How do you actually know what your customers are putting in a customer support chat window? We found credit cards sitting in the clear, unencrypted, with expiry dates and the CVV number on the back and first name, last name, just sitting there. And yeah. we've also found everything from transactional details of what people watch in their hotel rooms when they're on business trips which reveals behavioral data and sexual orientation data, which is that 4% of revenue fine information. And the challenge is that when you're dealing with unstructured data and even more pronounced, when you're dealing with streaming data, which is constantly flowing in from places like Twitter and Facebook 
and other third-party sources, credit card processors and elsewhere, is that is a massive blind spot for people. They just don't know what's in there because the people who are negotiating the contracts and agreeing on what can be shared and what can't and for what uses and how long they can keep it and what format, those are not the same people who are actually opening up the pipe and transmitting the data. Beyond so what we often find are these companies getting tons of information they actually don't want to have. Well, they're, they're violating the whole idea. Yeah, they're violating the whole idea of data minimization. I mean, unless you really need some data, why, why would you take it on? You're just taking on a liability. Exactly. 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 Now, what, one other thing on, work. if I may, one other thing on this uh, first key finding is that in general, businesses do an inventory about once a year. Is, is that generally yeah. what you found? And I'm sure you'd agree, not a, not a good idea or adequate uh, frequency. No, cer certainly not adequate. Um, most data is changing on an hourly basis, if yeah. not faster. And as things come in, you have to know it's there. I mean, let's say you get breached and you've got a notification requirement that's very tight. You need to have an up-to-date map of what data is where and who it belongs to so that you can respond appropriately and notify people appropriately. So doing it once a year is not sufficient for all sorts of reasons. Um, and even if you are doing it once a year and you believe that's sufficient, the challenge is it's not accurate. And so, you know, forget sufficiency. Let's talk about accuracy and completeness and making a best effort. And, and the reality is the technology does exist today to have continuous compliance and a continuous data map. Right, that leads right into your second key finding, and, uh, and I'm sure you, you found and you did document in the study that uh, a lot of what's gotten the, uh, the budgets up, and you reported a 25% uh, annual increase in what people expect to pay next year, um, but a lot of it was prompted by regulatory compliance. But I really liked your key finding the data privacy has to do with a lot more than just uh, avoiding fines and staying out of jail. Uh, talk to us a little about that. Yeah, so what we found is that for a lot of companies, proven compliance, yes, that's a forcing function. But what we're seeing from the vast majority of the companies we're working with is that they're looking at privacy actually as a strategic differentiator. Yeah. And they're looking at it in the context of data protection holistically where privacy sits upstream from security. Privacy tells you what's important and why, and security is the how. And the prevailing wisdom, certainly among forward-thinking companies, is that if they do a really good job of privacy as part of their broader data protection strategy, that becomes a differentiator that they can sell to future customers and employees. Because something you might have noted in the survey is that the majority of companies surveyed believe believe that if they didn't do a good job of privacy, they would lose uh, lose customers, and about half surveyed said they were afraid they would lose employees. And so when you start to think about how privacy can be used in a really positive way, not just as a, a punitive measure, but really as a differentiator, a lot of the companies are starting to look at it as, hey, look, we could message this and market this to our audience and say, hey, check us out, we're good actors. We've got these policies in place and these enforcement mechanisms 
to ensure that we're complying with privacy regulations and our contractual obligations. We are the good guys. We're going to do right by you. You can trust us, and therefore, you want to do business with us. Yeah, and you and certainly uh, really you, cer- you certainly see that with well, the reputational damage. Really, is much greater. I, would you agree with me than than the cost of data breaches, which is significant in itself? But it's really the reputation that can just disastrously affect businesses. Yeah, and and interestingly, we've seen that reflected in how quickly various uh, market segments have moved. So any companies that deal with high trust information, so financial sector, insurance, they've been very quick to move on complying with these new privacy regulations because they cannot afford to lose their customers' trust. Well, and medtech and fintech, of course, were two where we do have federal statutes, but a lot in the United States anyway, a lot of, a lot of it isn't covered by federal statutes. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Well, let yeah. me go to the third uh, finding, uh, and that is a key finding. Yeah, many findings. It's a great study. And by the way, anybody who really should take a look at this, you'll find it at uh, worldwideweb.integris.io, and you'll, you'll easily find the study. But the third key finding, uh, uh, Christina, was uh, was about data sharing agreements. And uh, you found that uh, these are increasing. Forty uh, percent of respondents had 50 or more data sharing agreements in place. But mm-hmm. was uh, not surprising to me, and uh, I think we'll all understand this. I think we all exaggerate our own capabilities. <laughs> this happens to people. But you found that th- there was kind of the overconfidence you've described about the company's uh, ability to comply with data sharing agreements, but a low level of confidence in everybody else's ability to yeah. comply. So tell us just a bit about that. Yeah, exactly. I I think that comes back to visibility and line of sight of what's being done. Because once data leaves your organization, you can't see it, and it's very hard to audit it. And unless somebody has technology in place to report out what they're doing with it, it's very hard to ensure compliance. And, you know, going back to the manual manual part of data mapping, I'm sure if they went to the, the third party and said, how are you using our data and where is it sitting? they probably hand you back a spreadsheet and say, here you go, we're, we're all in compliance, it's all good. But that in itself is overconfidence, which is the point we've already made. So people, people are definitely not confident in their business partners, and they are more confident in themselves, but you know, they also have very little insight to where all of their data is across all of these sources. Well, very good. I mean, it's one thing to have a signed agreement. It's another thing for it to mean something and be enforceable. The last key finding uh, I thought was also quite interesting, and that was uh, at least half uh, of data privacy budgets uh, are really housed in IT departments, you know, not in the CEO or the uh, other people. Some uh, you found were housed in legal and compliance. But uh, what do you make of that? And and let's say that's so. Why is that an issue? Yeah, I, I actually don't think it's an issue. I think it's a positive um, because what we're seeing is as people's maturity evolves around data privacy, they're realizing that privacy is not the sole purview of the privacy team, that it's actually a company-wide effort. And once the privacy team and associated legal counsel and consultants have assess the risk for the business, look at what kind of policies and procedures they should have in place, 
and have done their work, at some point, somebody says, okay, how do we operationalize this? How do we confirm that we're doing all of these things? And that is inevitably when the IT departments get involved. And what we see is that it's predominantly the head of data management within the chief technology officer's group that gets tasked with solving this. And that's about 80% of the time, 20% of the time, it's within uh, info security. And so what we're seeing is that that operationalization of privacy is very much a technology issue. And we're finding that as companies' maturity around privacy evolves, the technology leadership team is being brought to the table and brought into those discussions earlier and earlier to the point that now most technology teams and leadership are involved in privacy discussions from the beginning and they're part of crafting the strategy and the go-forward plan around how the company is going to comply. And I think that's a good thing. I, that does sound indeed like a good thing because privacy really should be part of an overall strategy of the entire business. Well, let me turn to one last subject with you, Christine, and that's types of data. You mentioned earlier uh, that there certainly are very different types of data. Most people are very familiar with sensitive versus less than sensitive data. But we're talking about something else. We're talking about derivative data and uh, other, other forms of data. Here, here's my question to you. Do you think it's time that we ought to begin to hit, systematize and harmonize how the world treats data? We do this with goods, uh, the harmonized tariff system with goods. Every good has an HTS code, and uh, countries around the world know what's happening when a, an automobile or something else enters the country. Data, I don't think that's out there, and I just wonder if you have thoughts uh, in concluding here about whether we're at the point we need to start classifying data and, uh, and, and helping businesses and government and everybody involved in this and individuals guard their data better. Mm, it's a really good question. I, I think there's going to be less social agreement on what's considered sensitive and what's considered personal mm. at a global level than we, might go, than we might have with something like goods and services. Um, when you talk about what's personal and you look at the European definition, it's race, religion, ethnicity, sexual orientation, I, I kind of uh, jokingly say it, it, it's not a joke, but it's anything that really could have got you into hot water or potentially killed or in prison during World War II. Yeah, and so that's it's right. not surprising that Europe considers that information highly, highly sensitive. In recent memory, that was something that was a matter of life and death. Whereas in North America, we don't have that same social context and therefore we don't have that same sensitivity around the definition of what's considered highly personal. To us, it's more financial. It's, it's my, you know, my credit card number. It's my social security number. It's my, you know, it's, it's my email address. I don't want people spamming me. And so that definition of what's sensitive and the historical context around why is quite different. different. Yeah. So I think, yeah, very different. So I think a global classification would be challenging. That said, it's not impossible and it's uh, certainly a worthy endeavor. The other thing that I think is important to note here is that as we learn more about data and as more derivative data becomes informative, I think the definition of personal information will continue to change. A quick example is in the future as artificial intelligence becomes more and more prominent, pretty soon there will be an algorithm describing you, describing your behavior, your personal habits, your preferences, and is that algorithm personal information, yes or no? Well, it depends on the context. And so I don't know that we can necessarily come to a static 
definition of personal information. I think it's contextual. I think it will continue to evolve. And I think it's cultural as well. Very good thoughts. I appreciate it greatly. Uh, Christina, thanks for being with us today. And signing off, it's the Data Privacy Detective reminding us all, protecting your personal data begins with you. Thanks again, Christina. Bye-bye. <clears throat>